So, hello. Uh, my name is Alan, if we've not been introduced. Uh, I'm the Baptist minister here, and it is my privilege to be continuing with our little mini-series today. And uh, that mini-series, Rooted, um, How God Grows Us. And uh, we are spending three weeks in, the, uh, in John 15, uh, verses 1 to 17. You might want to find it. And you may remember last week that Tom kicked us off and he was talking about the joyful process that the Lord takes us through, that of pruning. And you may remember Luke, uh, Luke, too many Lukes around. Um, You may remember Tom talking about his vine that he has at home. Now, I don't have a vine at home. I have what I think is in the Latin called a bush uh, that is up and over our door. And so imagine my delight as I was thinking and praying and uh, preparing for today when Helen was going out in the evening and said, excuse me, could you trim the bush above the door? I thought this is a perfect opportunity uh, for an illustration for a sermon um, that might come up sometime in the future. And so I was up a ladder with my sacateurs and I'm pruning away. And as I got about three quarters of the way through, I remembered that last time I pruned uh, the bush around the door that I had this horrible allergic reaction on anything that it touched. So my arms came up in welts. I went horribly red, a little bit itchy. And I thought, one, I'm not very good at this pruning thing. And two, pruning doesn't like me either. So that's it. That's all I've got with regards to pruning. So I'm very, very glad that Tom covered that last week. Hooray! So what we are going to look at this week is uh, we're going to look about at what it means to remain, what it means to abide um, in Jesus, uh, as he tells us that through this passage. So a little bit of context. Um, Jesus is talking to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. So you might remember in John's gospel that as they arrive in the upper room and they're all looking around wondering who's going to take the slave's uh, job and wash all of our feet because none of us are going to do it, um, that Jesus gets up from the table and he kneels at his disciples' feet and he washes them and he says, you know what, guys, you're not any greater than I am. You've seen what I've done for you. Do this for one another. Gives them the great command to love one another. They celebrate the Passover meal together. And uh, as they're doing that, um, Jesus, uh, he breaks bread and um, he indicates the kind of death that he's about to die. He knows what's coming. In the course of the meal, he also says to all of those, the closest friends that he has on the earth, that one of you is about to betray me. He indicates that by uh, giving a piece of bread to Judas and says, go and do what it is that you need to do, Judas. If that weren't enough, he also said, uh, oh, and Peter, you know how courageous you are, brother, how you're always first out of the gates, the first to speak, the first to stand and to take new ground. He says, even you, Peter, you're going to deny me tonight. Not I, Jesus, surely not. And sure enough, that's what's going to unfold. Jesus has declared himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And in this same conversation, Jesus has promised that unless he goes, then the Holy Spirit will not come. The advocate, the teacher, the one that will remind the disciples of everything that he said, the one that will bring peace to the disciples as they go through their own trials and their own struggles. And at the end of chapter 14, you find this little phrase, come now, let us leave. And so they head out from the upper room 
And, I don't, and they're heading for the Garden of Gethsemane. They're heading out of Jerusalem. As they head down into the Kidron Valley, they can probably see the temple on Temple Mount that overshadows the valley. And as they head through the valley, they start up on the Mount of Olives, and they're heading for the Garden of Gethsemane. And we don't know whether these words are spoken on the way, on the journey, or whether this is a little bit of a group huddle in the garden before he takes himself off to pray. But what we do know is that this is Jesus' final night before he is crucified with his closest, dearest friends. These are, to some extent, his last words to those that he's going to leave the project of bringing in the kingdom with. These words are really significant. There is really something that he is trying to get across. So let's open our Bibles. Uh, The words will appear on the screen, but if you've got something with you, then do turn John 15, verses 1 to 17. Let's read. It says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Very good, very good. So not only is the setting, the context for what Jesus is saying, indicating that this is something rather significant, but Jesus is also pointing this out too in the passage. So verses 4 and 5 say this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So unless you get this, guys, everything that you do, it's going to come to nothing. You want to be fruitful. You want to be fruitful in your own lives. You want to be fruitful in the kingdom. Then you have to remain in me. 
Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's an all or nothing moment. Much fruit, absolutely nothing. And not only that, Jesus backs this up with a warning. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is gathered up, thrown in the fire and burned. It's quite significant that we grasp what it is that Jesus is trying to tell us in this moment. And of course, the question therefore has to be, how do we remain in Jesus? How do we remain? What is that all about? Verse 7 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. So to remain is something to do with remaining in his words. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. So to remain has something to do with remaining, staying in his love. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And so to remain has something to do with keeping his commands. And what's more, Jesus backs up what he's already said in verse 14 by saying, you are my friends if you do what I command. He says that twice. He's trying to make a point. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And so to remain is something about loving each other. And again, he doubles up on that one at the end of this passage and says, this is my command, love each other. So to remain, we remain in his words. To remain, we remain in his love. We keep his commands. We love one another. Simples. And John, not only does John write uh, the gospel of John, the story, the account of Jesus' life, but he also wrote some letters. And uh, I would really recommend, um, if you want to wrestle and grasp what it means to remain, take some time, read 1 John, his first letter. It says this, 1 John 2, verse 6, whoever claims to live in him, whoever claims to remain in Jesus, must live as Jesus did and the beautiful thing here is that as he has spoken these things, not only is he asking this of his disciples, but he's also pointing to the fact that this is the very thing that he has already done or is about to do. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So, friends... If you don't remember anything that I've said, anything that we've discussed tonight, remember how it is that I've lived, how it is that I've loved you, and how it is that I've sought to follow my Father's commands and do likewise. So, it's all about love and it's all about commands, following instructions. Now, who here likes to be told what to do? Anybody? Anybody here like to be told what to do? Very good. There's one man over there. Very good. How long have you been married, sir? No, sorry. And is she sitting with you? Very good. And those ribs will heal after a while. 
Um, I have led various uh, training uh, things here over the years, interns being one of them. Um, a few years back, we were also doing something similar with, uh, I was going to say grown-ups, but that, with older folk. And I do famously remember asking the question um, to a room full of folk. And uh, one gentleman, who will remain nameless, but he is a great builder, um, was... Um, brave enough to respond. I said, who gets to tell you what to do? And you could see his little face fall. He went, I really struggle with that. And I think that if we are honest, that we all really struggle with that. It might just be me, who knows, probably is. Um, but who likes to be nagged to do something? You know, we've been through a season of exams, A-levels, and all of those kind of things. And the joy and delight for my children to be nagged constantly by their mum to do a little bit more revision. They loved it. Didn't produce any tension in our house whatsoever. Our 13-year-old daughter. Do you think you ought to be doing some homework? Turning friends off? No, she loves that. Oh, she doesn't, uh, she doesn't roll our eyes at us in the slightest. No, no, there's none of that that goes on in, in our house whatsoever. Or if you're at work being pulled up by somebody and said, you know that, you need to do this differently. We love it, don't we? We love being told what to do. <laughs> and I struggled with this so much around the home that I had to devise a little bit of a, a scheme in order to be able to, to do this. So my wife, Helen, is somebody that if you say, okay, what are all the things that we need to do? She can reel off a list of probably 50 or 60 things that need to be done without pausing for breath. It's an incredible gift that she has. It's an incredible gift to be married to her as well. It, it really is. And uh, for me, I get three things in my head, and I'm trying really hard to remember those three things. And uh, another one goes in, and then one of them just pops out. So I'm on a hiding to nothing, you know. So, um, so I struggle with this so much, and I did, um, and it says here, got so angry. Did you write this, lady? No, okay. There were times when it was just like, this is, this is my day off. And you've just given me a list of 15, 20, 30. I've lost count, and you know... I can only remember the last two now because I'm under so much stress and the, and the tension is rising. And so I devised a very clever scheme which kept my ego and my pride um, fully in check, um, which was, Helen, why don't you write me a list of things that you know that need to be done because then you've got them out and you'll feel better. And then I can maybe choose to do some of those things to bless you. How, how about that? And uh, I wouldn't necessarily say, ladies and gentlemen, that it was the best, uh, the best thing, um, but it certainly eased a little bit of tension and a few things did get done. Now, obviously, we've been married now for almost 24 years. I know we don't look old enough. I know that Helen doesn't look old enough. Thank you. But I've got a lot better, haven't I? Yes. <laughs> this time with a little bit more feeling. No, okay, I'm going to leave that there. I think the word is feedback, isn't it, Tom? Um, okay. Um, because I don't know about you, I like to be in control. Of my own life, at the very least. I like to be in charge. 
you're still at it, Alan. I was trying really hard not to name you, but... And I don't want the fruitful areas of my life to be lopped off. Thank you very much. I was quite enjoying doing those. I don't want to be told that what I'm doing is uh, not quite the right thing and I need to be doing something else. And I should stop doing this and I need to do that. Jesus said, remain in my words. I'm reminded of the end of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you know what? Those that hear my words, put them into practice like a wise man that built his house on the rock. It says remain in his love. Oh, he loves us. He wants to do this from a place of intimacy and connection with us. He doesn't want us running off and doing things in our own strength and in our own way. He wants us to pause. He wants us to lean into him to receive the love that he has for us so that he might whisper in our ear and say, you know what you're planning? It's great. Try this. When the struggle's on, he says, you know what? I know you're angry. I know you want to pick up rocks and throw them. But how about some forgiveness? How about loving our enemies? Because you know what? You bring change and transformation. He says, keep my commands. Not because he's some dictator that likes to get his own way. Because he knows that the words that he speaks direct from the Father are life-giving, transformative, beautiful words that will bring life to us, to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our streets, to our city, to our workplaces. Keep my commands. Keep my commands. And he actually makes it really simple, doesn't he? Not the 60, 70 uh, page list, uh, list of items. He just says, let's keep it simple, guys. Love one another. Love one another. As I've loved you, let's love one another. And you know what? To love one another is a great choice that we make. More of that in just a moment. But where I've seen a great example of this worked out uh, in recent weeks is um, going down to Battelle. Battelle is uh, spread across the country, um, headquarters in Birmingham, and they are communities filled with folk that are either recovered addicts or on the way to be being recovered addicts. And it is a beautiful and it is a very profound place. And um, it illustrates, I think, some of this beautifully. Uh, while we were there, I took the interns down. Uh, we spent about a week um, down living in community in their dorms, eating, working alongside, um, praying, worshipping. Um, fantastic to put the interns uh, up in the morning for their devotional time. Yeah, you speak to 30 recovering addicts. It will be fine. You've got something to bring. And seeing each of them rise to the challenge. Chris, even by the end of the week, was leading worship. And uh, they did an amazing, amazing job. But on the Wednesday evening, uh, there was a, uh, evening devotionals. There's usually quiet time. But Kent and Mary Alice, the leaders of, uh, of the whole UK project, um, just took some time with the 30, 35 guys that we were with. And uh, so they watched a, a film, and then they just did a Q&A. And one of the questions that Kent asked was this. 
There's a whole world full of people that you could follow. Why do we choose to follow Jesus? And there was lots of back and forth and lots of conversation, lots of questions, and it was really good. But it wasn't until we got back up to the room that one of the older guys, a guy called Ian, um, as we were sitting around afterwards, he said, I, I didn't really feel brave in the middle of 35 uh, folk to, to share what I think, but I choose to follow Jesus because he is the only leader that has chosen to die for me. And I thought, brother, of all the answers that we've had tonight, that's probably the most profound. And we choose to follow Jesus because of what it is that he has done for us. You see, Batel is, is a place full of folk that have followed their own way, often have not uh, obeyed anyone, whether it's parents, uh, they've not submitted to school teachers, they've not uh, followed what it is that police and social services have said to them. They've followed their own path and they find themselves in the blackest and darkest of places. But in amongst that and with these guys, to stand and to sing and to worship. To see these guys who can't sing a note for their lives, but with their arms in their air, singing at the top of their, lung, of their lungs songs about salvation, about their chains being broken, about the freedom that God has brought them into, about coming from darkness into light is a beautiful and powerful and a humbling, humbling thing. It's a beautiful thing. And not only that, but they demonstrate that they are loved by God for their love and their care for others. And so while we were there, uh, we had the privilege of being there when three folk came and joined the community, fresh uh, from the streets. One guy in particular, a guy called Adrian, um, who um, was just lost to, uh, to drink. He had been brought off the streets of Devon. Um, I think a pastor had put him on a train, paid for his train fare and said, you're going. And when he arrived, um, he literally looked like the walking dead. In terms of his skin color, uh, color, the pallor, the pain that he was in, the burdens that he was carrying. And on that first day as he came in, two of the guys who were sharing his dorm tell how one of the guys who had been kicking them on the sports pitch and uh, sharing banter, because there's plenty of banter around uh, down in Battelle, he said the tenderness and the gentleness with which they received Adrian encouraged him, let him cry his tears with no embarrassment wrapped their arms around him, embraced him, brought him in to the community, stood with him. It was a beautiful thing. I had the privilege of going down uh, with Kevin Quinton, who oversees our social transformation work. We went down yesterday evening to continue to make connections uh, with them as an organization. And just as we were leaving, I saw Adrian, who could barely speak. Um, he was stood uh, his colour had returned. Uh, he looked me in the eye. He took me by the hand, shook it, said, Adrian, you look like you're doing amazingly. He said, I am. And that was after he'd spent an hour and a half with his arms in, his, in the air worshipping the Lord Jesus for all that he'd done. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So there's real demonstration of the love of God in that place. But there's also rules. There are also uh, regulations. There's a strictness to the way that they, uh, the way that they do things. Um, but they do that because they know, they know with a real certainty that by following the rules brings freedom and life. 
Now, they don't have to stay. In fact, one of the guys that we saw come in, he made it about 36 hours before he decided actually it was too much for him at this moment in time. And many of the guys there um, say, you know, they picked up and they made the call. That was the call to come. Many of them said that they've done that two, three, four times before they're actually ready to come in and just to go, yes, I need this, and I'm going to come and play by the rules of the community. And uh, what's more, Ian, our wise sage, prophet, philosopher, um, uh, I follow Jesus because he is the only leader that has died for me. He was also on discipline. He was caught smoking and had actually hidden the uh, cigarettes in, of, of his mate in his, uh, in his jacket pocket. And he was doing washing up for the other house um, and had only just finished this time round. Because there is a seriousness and a gravity to the way that life needs to be lived. But for those that choose to stay... Story after story after story of lives transformed. Families repaired. Relationships restored. The dead, literally, those that have been at death's door, reborn, given new life, a hope, a future. It's so beautifully, powerfully, wonderfully Jesus. Peter says earlier in John's gospel, as the crowds are deserting because the teaching is too tough, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Lord, uh, says, do you guys want to leave too? And Peter says these words, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Come on. And so back to the great command that Jesus leaves us with in this passage. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other. Is that a warm, fuzzy feeling? Did Jesus have a warm, fuzzy feeling for those that were nailing him to a cross? Is it about affection? Well, I quite like you. You're really nice best definition of love, agape love, that Jesus is talking about here is this, to will and to work for the best interests of others. A guy called Dallas Willard, an American philosopher, a Christian um, leader, um, to will and to work in the best interests of others. You see, to love like this is a choice. To follow Jesus' command is a choice. And it's not enough to want good things for someone else. Lord, bless this person. I hope they have a nice day and enjoy the sunshine. It's to want something great for those around us, but also to work for their best interests too. To put our money where our mouth is to lay down the stuff that we are wanting to do and to serve somebody else, to bless somebody else. Paul picks this up in his letter to Philippians. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you 
to the interests of others, not looking to your own interests, your wants, your desires, the things that we had got planned for today, but each of you looking to the interests of others. So I'm going to just invite the band to come and join me on the stage. And I just, uh, as we come into land, I do want to leave us with this uh, final thing that Jesus has told us to do, which is to love one another. And the fact that that is a choice. Who here is baptized? Anyone baptized here as an infant? I know I'm a Baptist, but that's fine too. As an infant or, or as an adult, yep. It's the moment that we made our lifelong choice to follow Jesus, to remain in his love, to follow his commands, to do all what he says and tells us to do. And you know what? Just as Molly, who came in thinking, oh, you're going to tell me to pray now, revealing something of the stubbornness of all of our hearts, when we choose when we make that decision, everything else changes. We step into our days following Jesus with joy in our hearts rather than dragging ourselves, going, I suppose we really ought to do this. And so let's stand together, shall we?